Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. What's going on, everybody? Welcome inside the Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, Josh Shaw, Ryan Buckeye. We so far, Josh, have spoken about dreams within fitness. Like, what would you want to own within the world of fitness? And we talked about owning a nutrition store, sports nutrition store. We've talked about owning a sports nutrition brand. But the other area to go into, if you love fitness, would be to open a fitness center, a gym. And this is something that our mutual buddy, Mark Lobelner, has actually talked a little bit about as well, is because Tiger Fitness has a gym open to the general public for free, and nobody fucking comes to it. So I want to talk today. I mean, you and I both have zero experience within owning a gym, I believe. I know I don't. I don't have I've, – I've thought about it. I want to own a gym. Um, and there are things in my head that I would do much differently than the gyms that, I'm, that I've been a part of and some of these corporate gyms that you see. But today we want to really dive into like why, gyms, why we think gyms fail and how we could potentially – what advice would we give from a business standpoint to make a gym be sustainable business in which you could actually make it past year three and maybe turn a, a fucking revenue within gym ownership. And uh, I think gyms are very similar to almost like restaurants. The fail rate is extremely high. And like I said, today we want to kind of discuss what we think that fail rate, why that fail rate is so high, and maybe what, what type of things do we know that gym goers or people who are considering opening a gym maybe can implement into their business strategy that gives them a better chance to survive long term. Now, opening a gym is kind of like the trifecta of like the meathead dreams. Yeah. You know, so we've covered, we, we covered the two uh, areas. Now this is the uh, finishing, finishing that trifecta up. It's, uh, it's one area that honestly I haven't thought too much about like personally opening up a gym. It's, it's never really been something that I've, I've kind of thought about. Um, I know that I've been asked like a ton of different questions from different gym owners over the years, but, um, you know, I've, I've added my opinions from an outside perspective, but I've never really dug super deep personally into like thinking about it as an investment or, or anything like that. I currently go to a corporate gym, which is, which is a little bit different of a whole makeup. I think we want to talk about just like independent gyms like what they should be doing because at a corporate level, a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about is kind of taken care of for you. Mm -hmm. um, you're just kind of managing the, the profit and loss statement and making sure that, uh, you know, nothing, uh, nothing's kind of fallen on its uh, right. wayside, but it's, you know, I think that independent gym ownership, small business, local business, this is kind of in a way getting back to like the op opening a supplement store yeah. in, a, in a way. I think a lot of these things might um, align well with with that video or podcast. If you guys haven't watched that one, it was a, a really good one for for people that were looking at that. But um, you know, I think since you've thought about this a little bit more than me, and I know that you work out at a lot of more independent right. gyms around your area, like what what were kind of things going through your head when you were kind of thinking about this initially, or or maybe you're still kind of even thinking about it a little bit here and there. Yeah, well, the first thing that anybody whoever considering opening a gym needs to do is a is a Google search. Like Google search gyms in your area, and you're gonna see Google Maps pull up a shit ton of gyms. Some are gonna be anytime fitnesses, some are gonna be lifetime fitnesses, like your corporate umbrella gyms, Planet Fitnesses. Like these are your gonna be your direct competitors. So the first and foremost, do your homework. Figure out what it is that these these places are offering and. Like any business, Josh, right? Any business idea should start with some sort of point of differentiation. Like how are you different than what's currently out there and why would people pay? In this case, if you're an independent gym, you cannot sustain a $10 a month membership fee like Planet Fitness can. You just can't do it. It's not going to work. So if you're going to charge somebody 50 bucks a month for an individual membership, 
Why would anybody pay 50 bucks a month to come to your location versus the 30 other locations that Google just popped up? So that's like the biggest thing. So for me, when I thought about my gym, it's two, twofold for me living in the metro area of the Twin Cities. It's a big metropolitan area. It's A, first off, like what would be my point of differentiation from what's out there? And then B, location, because that's big as well. So um, location is, is, I mean, you can't, you can find a really cool, and I think maybe this is, might be the issue with Marks and Tiger Fitnesses is like their location is like in a warehouse district. It's probably not the easiest thing to get to, which if it's a burden to get to any business, People will avoid it or shop online or do something differently or find something that's convenient because, quite frankly, we're quite lazy as a society. We want the easiest route possible, right? I mean, think about this, for example. If you're at a, at a retail store and there's a manual door and an automatic door that's going to open with an eye, which one are you walking to, Josh? <laughs> exactly. The you're automatic walking, door, yeah. You're going to walk to the automatic door. You're going to take the escalator versus the stairs. It's what we do as a society. So if your location is not convenient, unless your point of differentiation is so unique – and so different that you become a destination gym or a destination fitness center, then location doesn't matter as much. But it's very hard to create something like that. And it would have to be something super unique or you have to have sort of like a legacy. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was out in Long Island. I went to Bez Powerhouse Gym in Long Island. Now, that is a, like that is a historic gym. Locations, whatever. I mean, it's in a small city. But people will drive an hour to go to that gym because it's a destination gym. All right. So if you're going to open one up tomorrow, you're not creating a destination gym. It's just not going to happen. So for me, it's like, what in the world can you do differently? I mean, you can't just go and buy a bunch of weight, like a bunch of, of racks, squat racks, benches, treadmills, toss them in there. It's not this whole mantra of if you build it, they will come. That is not going to happen at all. So that is like literally the biggest thing. And I think that might be one of the biggest reasons why gyms fail is because they just toss in equipment and they expect people to show up because you're a different location and you're not corporate. But at the end of the day, if your location sucks and your membership fees are so expensive to the point that people would rather pay a ten to twenty dollars a month for the same similar things in a corporate gym. They're going to a corporate gym at the end of the day. That's what they're going to do. Fun fact: um, Fail to Dreams is actually my uh, favorite movie. So uh, I like that quote you threw in there. Have you been? Uh, I, I have you been to the location in Iowa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think you can build a gym in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa and people show up. But hey, you never know. It could be a it could be a fun Instagrammable moment for people. Right. Like the uh, the middle of America Muscle Beach, but no beach around. Yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking here. This might this might work. I, I mean, I think there's a there's actually a, a destination gym I believe in Nebraska that's in the middle of nowhere. But again, that's one of those destination type gyms. So it's not only like what's your point of differentiation, where's your location. As a gym, I think a lot of people are convinced too that gyms earn most of their revenue from memberships, and that's just not true. They they earn on the personal training plans. So as a gym owner. Typically, you're taking a percentage, a cut from your personal trainers because you're, it's, it's like, a, like a hair salon, right? When you rent a chair at a hair salon, you are paying that hair salon owner X amount of dollars per month to rent it, probably and, and as well as a percentage of each cut, color, whatever you do. Same thing with personal trainers. Like The better personal trainers that you have within your gym with a bigger client list, the more money you're going to make as a gym owner. So just tossing in a bunch of equipment – you need to go above and beyond that. You need to recruit personal trainers with a reputation, with a client list, and that way you can you can monetize that because it's going to be it's so difficult. Because I mean, Josh, you probably know this too. Commercial space in general, if, to start a gym, you might need eight to twelve thousand square feet to get a, a, a fairly decent sized gym. That's not cheap, especially if you want a good location. I mean, that could be yeah. six grand a month. Some places it might be ten grand a month, depending on what city you're in. How many? If you're doing memberships at fifty bucks a month, how many members do you need just to cover your lease? Not the equipment. Not the electricity, just the lease. And I think these are things that gym owners, they don't, and I'm going to, this might offend some people, 
But most meatheads and people who want to start a gym are not business people. They just love lifting weights, and they don't know how to run a business. They don't know shit about accounting, so they f- they're, they're failed before they even start. It, it's kind of like the – we're talking about like, like planning or – I think the word that I used in that previous episode was like modeling, like some just basic financial modeling. And you're talking about just where your break even points. Like right. these are things that should be done before you even thinking about uh, signing any leases or, or starting your business. You need to be at least a little bit aware of where you need to uh, position your business to be successful. And that could be, like you said, I mean, what's your differentiation point? Like, what are you going to be to unique? Um, and based around that uniqueness, like how much can you charge? Are you going to be somebody that you can charge a super premium amount like a Equinox? Could you mm-hmm. do that? Maybe. Um, you know, is it just a bare bones warehouse that doesn't have any air conditioning or something like that? And you could only charge 30 or $40 a month. You need to be aware of where you can charge people because mm-hmm. that's going to be, you know, part of your model. And then you're going to have to figure out, you know, in that area, in that suburb or metro area, downtown, whatever it is, like how many people can you get in the doors every day? How many monthly members, active members do you have? How does that all work in terms of the model? And then where then, as you, to your point, like where else can you make money? Like right. it's not just going to be the memberships. It's going to be thinking about this, you know, in a number of different ways. You're talking about, you know, service-based people. Um, in CrossFit, a lot of times they have like a chiropractor. They have something like that that's also built into the gym. So they they sub rent or sublease out as mm-hmm. part of that point. Uh, one personal one that I, I know that I went to for a while in Denver, uh, he had a very large uh, warehouse outside of, of Denver, uh, downtown Denver. And instead of, he did have a chiropractor, he had a bunch of other things in there, but he had so much space that he actually like walled out a certain section of it and created like a co-working space for fitness-based brands. That's so cool. he had like an equipment company, he had um, a couple personal trainers that did like content generation, stuff like that. So he had like a sound studio, he had all these things here. But that's how he made his um, monthly mortgage, like mm-hmm. was the was from them. And whatever he made on his gym side, which was about two thirds of, of the warehouse, that was just profit to him. And that was kind of more of a passion, fun. But he created that because he pre-planned everything. It was right. more um, a point that he wanted to make from like differentiation or whatever from his strategy. It wasn't that, you know, he went in and just kind of willy nilly created this. This was all a plan. And I think you need to think about that and you need to be thinking this is a business. This isn't a passion. This isn't, you know, whatever you have to think about it. in the terms of this is a business and it's going to either you're going to run that business or it's going to run you. You have to decide which side of that coin you're going to be on. I like that. In terms of, I think of it kind of like a grocery, the grocery store chain. You want to maximize the profit of square feet within a grocery store, right? Like that's the shelf space. Like grocery stores look at things like how much dollars per square feet can they earn? You can, you should think of it the same way within a gym. If you're going to create basically like two studios that you want, maybe spin classes and all these things, when they stay dormant and there's nothing going on there, like you're not maximizing your revenue potential. So if you're going to charge for group classes, you make sure those fucking group classes are, are packed and you have them back to back to back to back. Or if it's something that you're just providing as a service to your members, then obviously that can reflect in the price premium for monthly membership. So there's just a lot of things that go into it. And I think a lot of people go into it with, with a soft idea and they think it's going to work. It's like, okay, what amenities do you want to include within your gym? Because some gyms include towels, right? So that includes you having a washer and dryer on site and you pay a higher water bill. You might include unlimited tanning, which is then going to increase your electrical bill. I mean, there are all these little things that people don't, I mean, do you want a steam room or do you want a sauna or do you want neither? And then you have showers and lockers and there's all this maintenance and upkeep that you have to have 
to have a successful gym. And I, and I just don't think it's thought through thoroughly. Now, the equipment itself is a whole other expense that people sometimes don't, don't think about. It's like, okay, for a good 100, 120 grand, you probably can buy a decent set of like equipment that does not include the cardio equipment. So you can get like your benches, your weight. Cause uh, I think like a 130 pound dumbbell is like 200 bucks or something crazy like that. It's a super expensive. So when people drop that shit and they break that shit in the gym, I mean, that's why gym owners should be upset, but that's super expensive. Now, when you look at a piece of a cardio equipment, a Stairmaster could be two, three, four, five grand each. So, I mean, that's why I think a lot of gym, gym owners, elect or they should elect to lease these things because when they break, it's nice to have somebody come in and be able to fix it as part of your plan. But I think that's, I mean, people just sometimes just go all in. They get their buddy's money and they think that, hey, you know, we are, we have a name within the fitness world here in this big area. Of course, if we build this gym, all of our friends and family members are going to come and they're going to tell everybody and they're going to come. No, no, that does not work that way. And Josh mentioned it before too. It's like, okay, where's your break even point in terms of like acquisition for your members? Well, then there's an acquisition cost because members are going to inevitably drop off and go somewhere else. They're going to move out of town. They're going to just not leverage their, their, their plan with you or they'll go to someplace that's cheaper. So it, it's going to cost you something to acquire somebody. And that's the same thing with any business. There's a cost of an acquisition cost. And what's that rate? And I think when I thought about starting a gym, Josh, the reason why I thought about starting a gym is because most gyms in the metro area here in the Twin Cities suck at branding and suck at marketing. They're terrible at it. So for me, it's like, that's what my forte is. If I can outbrand and outmarket them, then I can get people in at, a, at probably a, uh, a, a fraction of the cost on acquisition because now they, I'm well-known in the name, and I could just market the shit out of it on social media. And then at that point, people will come because it looks cool and unique, and it's, I'm doing something that the other places aren't doing. So it's not necessarily maybe a point of differentiation with what I'm going to do inside the gym, although that's important too, but like, what do you do in social media? What do you do in your branding, and what do you do in your marketing that's different than the big box places and the small niche gyms in the area? Because you can separate yourself that way too, it just goes back to my first point. Most meatheads who start a gym don't have a background in marketing brand or business in general. They know weights. They know how to bench press. They know how to deadlift. And that's about it. I know most of the people that are going to be listening to this, you know, we, we mentioned Planet Fitness, and it usually gets a cringe type of thought towards it Fucking because brilliant. of, you know, the, the way that they portray meatheads and, and just, just their whole mentality. But what I'll say is they have a pretty unique – market positioning. Um, they are doing extremely successful. They're a publicly traded company. So if anybody wanted to see kind of how well they are doing, you can you can look at that. But there's a few things that they do really well that's unique and different than anybody else. You think about the way that they brand their gyms, like the color schemes oh, yeah. and, and things are very, very different. Um, their commercials, like they use actual, you know, mass media uh, TV commercials, which um, you know, could be debated if that's a good value or not. But the way that they approach it is in is a memorable way. They don't just put out like some gym that you know uh, commercial that's like you know ten bucks a month and come in and whatever. Like they have a a whole creative type of uh, commercial which attracts a lot of people because it's you know it does kind of you know get you to think about hey I want to be a part of that. But what I think is the most unique about them and why I think they ex- do do extremely well is that it is ten dollars a month. What that $10 price point does for them is, that, you know, they don't make money if you come there. They want you to just forget about it. So $10, same as like a Netflix or Spotify or any of these types of subscription services, they can charge a lot more. Like our value that we're getting for that $5, $10, $7 a month is much more than that. And right. they know that. But why they're keeping it so low is that 
if you're not utilizing it, then they're winning. And if it is $10 or $7 a month, like you just forget about it. It's on your bill and you're like, eh, you know what? I could cancel it, but it's not really worth my time. And then it just keeps happening. You're mm -hmm. like, hey, in three months, I'll go back to the gym. Two months, I'll go back to the gym. It never happens. And that's how they kind of win on this is that they have more of a uh, customer lifetime value. They're not constantly having a churn where a lot of gyms, they have a big amount of churn because 50, 60, $70 a month, like you're going to notice that you're going to say shit. Like I don't want that right. on my bill anymore and I'm going to cancel it. But planet fitness has went the totally opposite way and just said, Hey, 10 bucks. Like, you know, when you, and we offer all this stuff, like, like you said, the, the tanning, the, I think they have free personal training. They have, um, all these classes, they have free pizza. I mean, people love pizza. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know pizza. how that has anything to do with fitness, but it, it sure tastes good. Yeah. Uh, and then the flip side of that, look at something like Lifetime Fitness, which is pretty popular, but they have different tiers. They have Platinum, Diamond, et cetera. They're building a new one here in Minneapolis on the roof of a mall in probably the richest city of Minneapolis, and I, I think it's going to be like $200 a month, something like that, something super high. Um, but what they've done is created uh, a status symbol in terms of gym. Like if you go to a Diamond Lifetime Fitness, you feel pretty fucking cool. You have a salon. You have a deli. You have hot towels, massage. There's something that's different too, and they can charge what they want, and people just pay it because they'll never use the salon. They'll never buy anything from the deli, but the fact that they have access to it makes them feel good about themselves, and they feel special. It's, it's no different than you know, driving a Tesla or wearing a Rolex. Like Lifetime fitness is essentially like that status symbol within fitness. So you can go Planet Fitness route of 10 bucks a month cheap, and when I tell somebody I work on a Planet Fitness, I might get laughed at from a fitness community person, but... If I tell somebody I work on a lifetime fitness, then I all of a sudden like I'm a cake eater. You know, I'm like one of those one of those guys like nose in the air, status symbol. But they have very nice amenities. They have pool. They have all those things too. So again, that point of differentiation from Planet Fitness is just low cost and and, and just get in there and and to but Josh's point, if you forget about it and you just keep paying for that for for ten years, they're winning. And then lifetime fitness would be a, a charge that you see on your bill that you'd cancel. But you're afraid to cancel because you like that status symbol. You like being part of that culture within, within that. Now, you can look at something like CrossFit, which Josh brought up before. That is That point of differentiation within CrossFit is, A, first off, the type of lifting that you do. But also, it's a sense of community. It is. Yeah. You go there. You're doing group workouts. And you can say what you want about CrossFit. Like You literally can get a CrossFit certificate in the weekend. And they're fairly cheap to build. I mean, you just need sort of a warehouse and, and some, some racks and just a lot of fucking space. But people will pay a ton of money to be part of a CrossFit gym because they want to be part of a community and be accepted into that friendship group. So that's, I mean, those three different examples that we just talked about, totally different pricing models, totally different ways that they operate, and all three extremely successful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's interesting that they're, you know, in all kind of consumer categories, you know, there has to be those levels of, of differentiation and price or whatever market positioning they need to be. And, and I think it's important for, and you mentioned it right at the beginning of the podcast, is that you need to be aware of what's around you. Where are they um, seeing success at? Like, what are their differentiation points? Where are their value points? Or what are the price points? Doing all that kind of competitor research and then saying, okay, where, where am I going to be at this? Because... I think the biggest mistake, and, and this has nothing to do with gyms, it has to do with anything that's like consumer products and, and an entrepreneur, somebody that's creating something. What they always end up doing is, is saying, well, I'm going to create something that I, that I want. So mm -hmm. in your case, you might be like, I'm going to create this most hardcore gym right. possible and it's going to have all this uh, rust and it's going to do all these types of things. Well, that might be cool to you and it might be cool to like, you know, a group of your friends, whatever. Yeah. But does it get you to the point of actually being profitable? Odds are probably not. So Correct. it's not so much creating what your ideal 
perfect um, scenario just for you. It's it's also thinking about this like if you're running a business, like how are you going to make this be profitable? It's not this isn't a charity. This isn't a nonprofit. This is this is a, you know you're you're probably putting your family's uh, you know money on the line, right. uh, the future stresses, um, tons of different things. So it might seem fun and might seem like the uh, perfect meathead uh, type of entrepreneurial venture. You also need to just realize that eventually that is going to fall to the wayside. You know, 20 years going to that gym every day and spending eight, eight hours a day or, or whatever, cleaning the equipment and doing all this stuff. I, I can't, you're probably not going to have as much passion for it uh, forever if you're not getting some type of uh, residual benefit off of it. Yeah, exactly. To your point, it's like, okay, for me, if I want a gym for myself, you're damn right. I want Quad's gym in Chicago. I want like that hardcore gym, but I approach it. It's like, okay, first off, the point, the person in, in the family who spends the money, controls the, the checkbook and the credit cards is, is the mom, the female. So I'd create a gym, and this is a you know, free advice to anybody out there who wants to open a gym, is like, how are you going to attract women? Because that is going to be your money-making avenue. Like women, metrosexuals, spend a lot of money on, on health and fitness. It's important to them. There is a gym, again, here in Minneapolis. I believe it's called Lush. It's, it's more for like the trans and homosexual community and lesbian community, which is totally cool. I think the membership is like a buck twenty a month because it's it's they 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 spend it because the app they actually I think they have like an uh, EDM DJ there and it's kind of like the entire atmosphere it's pretty cool, um, but self image and self appearance is very important to that type of culture and those type of people. So I mean they are willing to spend a lot of money for something that could be the same as a Planet Fitness setup, but that sense of community again and and culture. So it's like who is your target market? If your target market is just meatheads, again, to Josh's point, you're going to have a hard time surviving on that. Unless you're charging like 50, 60 bucks a month and you have low overheads, so that's very tough to do. I mean, there's a couple hardcore gyms here in the cities that do very well, but then again, most likely if you're thinking of starting a hardcore gym, there's probably one in the area that people are going to currently or something similar. So I've always said like, how, how do you attract women in, in there? And like, what type of cardio equipment do you need? What, what type of group classes do you need? Because if the woman goes, then she might start talking to the husband or the boyfriend and the kids and be like, you guys need to come too. Now you have a family membership. Now the woman's spending money on personal training. Then you start, and again, I'm not trying to like stereotype anything, anybody here, but really women are the money spenders in the families. Typically, they're the ones who control the finances and they're the ones who write the checks, use the credit cards. That is really who I would attract. So that gym that I would build, Josh, would probably not be my favorite gym in the world in terms of working out in. It'd be cool because I own it, but I'd still rather go to a quads in Chicago. Like that's my shit, but that's not necessarily how to turn a profit and run a business. Yeah, you're completely right about like women controlling the spending power. I think stats are somewhere around 80% right. of spending is influenced or directly uh, related to women. So it's it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, you think about a gym, even corporate gyms that I go to, you don't see that many women in certain sections of the gym, and it's about how comfortable they are. Mm -hmm. and, and if they're not comfortable, they're less likely to come, and if they're less likely to come – they're less likely to even um, continue to pay or go to that gym or whatever. So then you're, you're kind of losing out because then they have the influence over the wallet. They're going to go to some other gym that they feel more comfortable at. And then it just kind of creates this environment that uh, you don't want to be at for a gym owner. It's, um, you know, you don't want to go out and create curves. That's probably not what you want to do. But no. you need to make sure that you you feel like it's, it's appropriate, gender neutral. Um, you know, it's one of those environments or experiences that can be, uh, useful to 
you know, the most amount of people. And that's, I mean, we're, we're probably talking a lot about like how to maximize profitability. And I think that because we're both business people and we're, we're MBAs, I think that's always the, where we, we kind of default to because we're, you know, we know that that's kind of the role of a, a corporation is, is to make, uh, make profits. But, you know, I think it goes back to, you know, if you were going to start a gym now, you're going to think about it completely different because you might not be thinking about how to maximize profitability. You might be maximizing like lifestyle or how does that um, connect into your life to make the the bigger pie kind of larger. Like mm -hmm. if to you now, like you're doing, you know, fitness content, you're doing this, that, you know, if you had a facility where you can film um, yeah. as much as you want, whenever you want, you can, you know, kind of segregate spots out. You can make sure lighting's good. You can make sure all like it gives you better um, output for cr content, right. which in a way also creates a bigger influence and helps you then drive more people to the gym. And it, it kind of creates this whole system. But at the beginning, you wouldn't be thinking about how do I maximize profitability? It's also because you're thinking about how am I going to maximize just my influence in what I do? And that's what you're seeing a lot with some of these social influencers. I think it was the hot thing for a while, a couple years ago. I think a lot of it cooled off because people realized that it wasn't all that profitable like they realized they thought it was going to be something they made a bunch of money on like right. you, know, you think about you know christian guzman uh, has like alpha elite gym and right. then there was you know uh, i think steve cook has a gym out in utah um you know every single kind of like youtube or, or social media influencer for a while was out there creating a gym but some of them stuck with it and some of them realized hey i'm not going to make money at this this is going to be part of my whole kind of ecosystem my mm -hmm. whole empire that i'm going to build and eventually it's going to maybe work out for me. If not, I got the value out of it where the other people kind of dove in and thought, Hey, I'm going to make money at it. And it kind of went that opposite way. But that was kind of a hot thing. I think also like you talked about Mark Libliner and uh, Tiger Fitness guys over there. I've been to that gym. I've seen that there's nobody in that gym. I've worked out there a few times and there's just, it's, it's uh, crickets around there, which is nice if you're the one working out, but not nice. Uh, you know, if you were going to charge people and stuff, they don't charge anything. Mm -hmm. They're just, you know, it's just something for their employees. And if other people, community members, customers want to come in, that's great. But that's kind of where I think a lot me or you, if we we're going to open a gym, both of us would probably think about it more that way. We wouldn't yeah. think about how do we maximize profitability? We'd be like, okay, this is going to help, you know, the big, uh, picture our big ecosystem within what we do. So I think there's tons of different variables. I think anybody needs to like kind of consider when they're uh, thinking about this, but I think most people that are watching this are going to be just, hey, this is how I'm going to make my living. Right. So that's why I think both of us have been mostly harping on how do you make this maximize profitability the best that you can. So I don't want anybody to think we're like money grubbers or, or whatever, but we want to make sure that it's pointed towards the audience in which is listening. Yeah, I mean, most people who open a gym really don't have a platform like you and I do digitally. So that's a great point. Like for me, I was like, how much – how much would it cost me to build a gym and what's my break-even point just to kind of cover the overhead because I want to use this as a content studio for Fitness Informant. That was my whole premise plan and it's a fun place for me to wake up and go. Now, what's interesting too is you and I both know, um, you know, or have worked with the brand Performix. They have Performix House in New York City, right? Um, that is essentially a content-creating studio for fitness influencers' models to go to. Now, their cost structure is super interesting. They have three different pricing tiers with the most expensive being $900 a month. Yes, I said $900 a month in New York City. There is a uh, basically a registration process that they elect who belongs there. So they're creating not only a status symbol, uh, but they're making good money off it. Obviously, you get some amenities with that. That's kind of cool. But I believe there are cameras pointed at literally at every piece of equipment in there with proper lighting, some back screens. So if you're an influencer, you don't necessarily have to build your own gym. Now you can be part of this gym, go there, turn out content, like unlimited content, which is a unique thing too that they are, they are offering the fitness community, 
maybe making a, I don't know if they're actually making any money off it because I think they only have like 250 members at 900 bucks a month. I'm sure the, the overhead in downtown Manhattan or wherever it's at is not cheap by any means, but that's like a unique proposition to that. A supplement brand has created this place that people are going to, to create content for. So there's, they created a gym, not just to say, Hey, we own a gym, but obviously I think with profitability in mind, maybe some more for some of their content as well. And maybe for their athletes to come in and, and I guess support the influencers of the world. Profitability wise, I don't know exactly how that performance house is doing. I'll say just from a creative level, um, it definitely elevated a lot of what brands were doing. Um, it took a lot of the trends that were going on with, um, you know, the Pelotons and, and the different um, kind of subscription based um, because I think they're also taping a lot of that influencers are allowing them to come in and, and kind of tape classes that they mm -hmm. can then utilize uh, there. They kind of took everything to the, to the extreme uh, level and, and it got a price point that kind of uh, gets to that level and it's invite only, I think, or, yeah. you know, you have to be somehow it's, it's taken some elements of a, of a, of a club in, I think maybe it started in, in London, but there's one in New, a couple in New York, I think called Soho house mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, there's, it's kind of has a lot of those elements of like the exclusivity and you're talking back to your like lifetime, uh, you know, diamond level, or you're talking to the Equinox, whatever that high level Equinox is like those types of things where it's, it becomes a status symbol as well. But performance house, like they kind of took a bunch of different trends together, mashed them up together, but also made sure that it was appropriate for what, their brand was hopefully going to get out of it and also what they hope would elevate their supplement brand because they, they do have a pretty um, premium price point on their supplements. So you can't have some uh, Planet Fitness style gym uh, right. you know, be, be your, uh, your extension of your brand because it would just confuse every single person. They, it wouldn't doesn't make any sense. It's, uh, it's kind of getting a little bit off, off topic, but I, was, I saw that the uh, – uh, Vegas um, Raiders. It's hard for me it's even weird. to say that. Yeah. I, like I, I was like, I struggled Las to say Vegas that. But, um, the stadium is going to be the Allegiant Airlines. So a budget airline is going to be that big ritzy stadiums uh, headline sponsor. So it just it, it that confuses me in itself. It's like you have this beautiful multi-billion-dollar stadium you built right off the strip in Vegas, and you're going to have Allegiant Airlines as mm -hmm. your title uh, sponsor. Now, I understand that Allegiant Airlines is a uh, Las Vegas-based airline, so I get that you know it's hometown, whatever. But couldn't you pick somebody else? I don't know. So it's just kind of, kind of like a brand extension yeah. uh, thing to, to connect with um, with Performance House. Right. I mean, it's super cool. It's super unique. I mean, we've talked about on this podcast some of the flaws that I think people go into building a gym or with this idea of building a gym go into it. And, uh, you know, some of the takeaways here is obviously do your homework, right? You can do a Google search, but you brought up a good point too that we didn't even mention. You also have digitally, digitally based fitness programs now, which is your direct competition, Peloton, Mirror. Um, there are, I mean, I think P90X is still technically, or Beachbody is still technically out there. Like these are th at-home programs that are still your competition. So, that for them, I mean, to buy a Peloton bike is a couple grand probably, and then I'm not, I'm not really sure what the subscription base is there, but I mean, how are you, if you're offering cycling, like how is that different than what Peloton's doing at home? Because a lot of people swear by it. I mean, they're making money. They have, they have stores in Mall of America and other big places that they're turning out these bikes like crazy. And, you know, you see new ideas and new apps and everything within fitness come to life every single day. So if you are going to create a physical space, a physical location, you need to be different. You need to market different. You need to be priced different. You need a different location. These are all things literally you need to think about before writing your first check. It's not 
to, to your favorite movie again, bill it and they will come. If you are a meathead with no business experience, get some or partner with somebody who has some, hopefully, because that is just going to exponentially increase your odds of success. And even then, even then, your, your, odds, your, your success rate is still going to be very slim. Like You need to hustle. You're going to work a long time, long hours for probably little to nothing to start until you build a book of business, which could take up to five years to do. And my final takeaway, I think, is just a matter of like give the customer a reason to come in your door because mm-hmm. they don't have to. I, I know that gyms kind of feel like in, in any physical space, they feel like, hey, we're, we're kind of not going to be affected by this digital um, thing. But to your point about the Peloton and, and all these other subscription-based services, like you need to give somebody a reason to get off their ass and go into the gym and keep going to that gym. So Whatever that is, if it's a matter of differentiation in, in what you're bringing from a culture, from an equipment to a price point, whatever that market positioning is that you're going to be unique, make sure you double down, triple down on that and you know keep all your other costs in place. And you should at least have a better chance of success than you know somebody that's just throwing spaghetti against a wall. Yeah, 100% absolutely. If you like what you heard on this podcast, hit that subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, where I say review. Helps up the algorithm so more people can discover the Two Guys, One Shaker Cup podcast. We are Two Guys, One Shaker Cup on Facebook. We appreciate the support. Things. I mean, I don't even know how many episodes we're in now. We're, get, we're deep. We're deep. We're getting there. We're getting, we're getting there. there. So we appreciate it. Again, like I said, follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast. And uh, until next time, Mr. Mr. Joshua Shaw, spreading his, his knowledge as always. Ryan Buckeye here. Pre- hope you guys uh, enjoyed this episode on Gym Ownership. Podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcast, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.